So let's pretend this morning that you wanted to be a priest in the Old Testament world. And you have all the qualifications. You know the law inside and out. You know how to offer all the sacrifices. You know how to lead people in worship. Maybe you're even charismatic and people love listening to you and love following you. That's all good. There's just one more thing that is necessary for you to have. The right parents. And grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And you kind of get the gist. Because to be a Levitical priest in the Old Testament, it wasn't just about qualifications and character. It was also about your heritage. And you had to be able to trace your lineage back to a certain family, to a certain person, to be able to make your claim that you could be a priest. And so because of that, and for several other reasons, the Hebrew people kept very detailed genealogical records. And we can see that very clearly it mattered in the Old Testament world where you came from. In fact, if you went to be a priest, and even if you came from the right family, from the right place, and you had all your ducks in a row, and then got to the place, I don't know where the place was, you go to apply for priesthood, but when you get to show yourself and then you don't have any paperwork to prove your lineage, not only would that disqualify you, but it would disqualify all of your descendants from the office. And so it was a really big deal to know where you came from. In the New Testament, the gospel writers felt the same weight of heritage, especially when it came to the life of Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, John starts with Jesus' genealogy in a much more supernatural place, saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, teaching us that Jesus wasn't just a good man or a good prophet, but was God incarnate, the Son of God come to the world to save the world. But Matthew and Luke start in a much more natural environment, telling us the human genealogy of Jesus Christ. Luke starts all the way back at Adam, showing us the common ancestry that Jesus has with all people, showing his humanity in its fullness and reminding us that Christ came to be one of us for us. Matthew begins with Abraham in order to show that Jesus was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, the one who the prophets spoke of for generation after generation after generation. And in the midst of Matthew's genealogy, a name pops up. And it's a name that should really stand out to us for several reasons. First off, this is the name of a woman, and there's not many in Jesus' genealogy. But even beyond that, we find the name Rahab to be shocking because Rahab was a foreigner. Rahab was not of Jewish descent. She was not a Hebrew woman. In fact, she was a Canaanite woman. And the Hebrew people and the Canaanite people have conflict all through the early parts of the Old Testament. And so just the fact that she breaks the mold of the the constant stream of the Hebrew people through Jesus' genealogy should jump off the page. But also, one of the things that we should know about Rahab that makes her inclusion in Jesus' genealogy very strange is their occupation. Rahab is mentioned several times in Scripture, and every time she's called Rahab the prostitute. She was a woman who sold herself for money, and not someone who would be pictured as, as a, a moral figure inside of, of history, especially standing beside people like Abraham and David. But there she is. 
But really, one of the most amazing things about Rahab and her appearance in Jesus' genealogy is in the scope of Scripture, she's kind of a relative nobody. In the Old Testament, Rahab is mentioned twice, both of those times in the book of Joshua and in only two chapters. And both sections there are very, very small. And so when we look at the big picture of the Bible, Rahab makes up a very small part of it. And so it seems strange that she would be mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. But clearly she matters. Not only to Matthew and in the story of Jesus, but to the writers of the New Testament as a whole. In fact, Rahab is mentioned more times in the New Testament than she is in the Old. And she's mentioned not only by Matthew, but she's mentioned by James and the writer of Hebrews. And so because of that, we really should pay attention to this ancient Canaanite prostitute because of her faith. What we're going to see this morning is that Rahab is the representative for what the people of God will look like after Christ. She's an Old Testament foreshadowing of the people of God saved by grace through Jesus, a cast of sinners and strangers and nobodies saved by Jesus through faith to do amazing things for Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at Rahab's religion as we continue our search through the book of James, talking about the religious acts that God has called us to do and the kind of faith that produces that religion. And so we're going to look at both James chapter 2 and then a brief passage out of the book of Joshua to give us context for the story. In James 2 verse 25, James says, And in the same way, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out on another way? That passage finds its root in Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read just the first, probably half of the chapter here. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies and said, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, and I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with stalks of flax, and she laid an un- and that she had laid an order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way of the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we know how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is the God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with me and my father's house. 
and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we do thank you for your word over and over and over again. God, we thank you for how much you love us and how much you care for us. And God, we thank you for the faith that you give us. But also, God, we thank you for the examples of faith that you've given us all throughout Scripture. And I especially thank you this morning for Rahab. And the reminder that no matter how far we've fallen, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, that your grace is sufficient. And that your faith that you give us is a saving faith. So Father, teach us this morning through your word. Help us to have a faith that mirrors that of Rahab in our lives. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing we see here in this passage is that Rahab's faith begins with hearing. Rahab's faith begins with hearing. Now, in the neighborhood that Stephanie and I lived in before our current neighborhood, it was a bit noisy. (laughs) So our neighborhood now is back in the woods and very quiet on a little country road, so we very rarely hear anything. In our last neighborhood, things were a little more exciting, especially some of our across-the-street neighbors. And so we knew when things were going well, because that was usually signified by sometimes fireworks. It didn't matter if it was the 4th of July. It didn't matter if it was New Year's Eve. Every day was firework day in Charleston Court. And so there could have been some fireworks, but the telltale sign that things were going really well across the street is that around 1.30 in the morning on, let's say, a Thursday night, it doesn't matter. It could have been any night of the week. You would hear the, the elegant tunes of Simple Man by Leonard Skinner just <laughs> pumping through the walls. And we knew as our baby was waking up screaming that they were, in fact, very happy. We also knew when things weren't going so well. I remember one time in particular, this was before babies, and so sometimes random impulses would happen, and I decided at about 10.30 at night that I wanted milk. I don't know why, because I'm four. I'm not sure, but I wanted milk at that exact moment, so we were going to go outside, so we, we popped the garage door open, and we just hear something happening outside. And we walk outside and in the middle of our road, and it goes from their house across the street from us, the quarter mile down the road, and back up, just a full-on brawl. Just throwing, you know, the, the kind of head-throwing brawls. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this isn't just hold me back, bro. This is the real deal. Grab you by your face, throw you on the ground. It's going down for real in our neighborhood. And we can hear all the stuff. And so we're just kind of, we pause for a little bit. And we just watch to make sure it's not getting too squirrely and too out of control. And also, we're a little curious, if I'm being honest. And so we're kind of watching. And maybe we should have done something earlier, but we didn't quite yet. And then things start to settle down a little bit because I guess they get to a certain stage of their current emotional and mental state, and it goes from very angry to very sad. And the last thing I remember hearing after we knew that they weren't going to burn down the neighborhood and throw each other through windows is through the window in my garage, I just hear someone yell this phrase, and it stuck with me because I don't know where it came from. He just yells, blood is thicker than water. (laughs) And that's the last thing we heard all night. It was weird. It was bizarre. But when, when things are crazy outside your house, you usually know that something's going on. And now that's the exact situation, I mean a little different, but maybe pretty similar, that Rahab and the people of Jericho are finding themselves in. 
They're starting to hear rumblings outside their wall. That there's this, this little tribe of people that's been wandering around in the wilderness for a very long time doing who knows what. And now they're coming out and they're marching towards Jericho. And they're hearing stories about conquests over and over again that God, their God, opened up water so that they can walk across it. And led them to victory after victory after victory over all of these cities and all these kings. And they are making a beeline directly towards the city. And Rahab, because of her profession, would have certainly known a lot of the things going on because she would have had a lot of people in and out. And so Rahab understood that something was going on. And we see this exact thing displayed to us in verses 8 through 11 in Joshua 2. Before the men laid down, she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom were devoted to destruction, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now the Old Testament, and really the New Testament as a whole, are filled with amazing, miraculous ways that God chose to use to reveal himself. We see God speak to Moses through a burning bush. We see God write on the wall before Daniel and the king and the, the party that was going on. We see God speak from heaven. We see even in the baptism of Christ, the voice of God cry out above Jesus and the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. We even see the resurrected Christ appear to Paul on the road to Damascus. But Rahab's introduction to faith, her hearing of the truth of God is much more ordinary. She just heard people talk. And I think a lot of times when it comes to our stories, when it comes to our faith stories, when it comes to our testimony, whatever word you want to use there, there's a desire to have some kind of a a great overwhelming story. That we can talk to someone, and I've known people that have kind of the, the crazy over-the-top stories, and they are pretty profound. When you have a friend that says, I was just in a really bad place in life, and, and I was running from God, and I made toast one morning, and I saw the face of Jesus in my toast, and I knew that God was calling me out of my sin and into new life. And, and so I brought that to a pastor, and he, he opened the Word of God, and he shared it with me, and I had this profound moment, and my face glowed and radiated, and everything was amazing. And we kind of want those stories a little bit. But we have to remember, as we see in the story of Rahab, that sometimes God speaks through burning bushes and bright lights. But more often than not, God speaks through the quiet echoes of grace in the hearts and in the words of others. And that's how Rahab heard. She heard the whispers. She heard the rumors. She heard people talking about this strange tribe of people and their God that could open waters and bring kings to nothing. And she said, when we started to hear about this God, when we started to hear about your God, our hearts were melting with fear. We were horrified and we were afraid because we knew that you were coming from us. And she even said, I know that God has given you this city. 
But while the Israelites were moving, some people heard the news and decided to fight and tried to stand against God. Some people heard the news and fled and ran away. But Rahab heard the news about this God of the Hebrew people, and she decided to take a step of faith. But before she ever acted, before she decided to hide these men on her roof and lead the, lead the, the government into a different location, she needed to hear. Because faith comes by hearing. In Romans chapter 10, Paul tells us exactly that. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. He says, but how are they to call on him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. A few weeks ago, if you weren't here, we were looking at the latter part of James chapter 1, when James tells us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers also. And that our faith can't simply be a belief that never moves. But in order to move, it's important that we first hear the word of God. And we see that truth affirmed in the life of Rahab. That she heard about who God was. That she heard about the power that God has. And because of what she had heard, then she was able to have the faith to take the step and do what God was calling her to do. And so for all of us this morning, it's important for us to hear the truth that gives us faith. And this side of Christ, we call that the gospel, the good news. That God loved the world so much that he gave Christ, that he gave his one and only son. And John says that whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, won't perish, but will have everlasting life. That if we trust in the death and the resurrection of Christ, and if we have faith in Jesus, that we're saved once and for all. And so if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ before, you've never gone through baptism before, then I want to encourage you to talk with me or with Pastor Adam at the end of the service about what it means to trust in Christ and take that first step of faith in believing Jesus to be the Son of God who died and was raised again so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That's where faith begins. But that's not where it ends. And it's no less important that if you're here and you've been a Christian for five months, five years, or 50 years, that gospel message is never old. And we never should stop hearing the gospel over and over and over again, because the more that we hear the gospel, the deeper our faith will grow. And so we need to emulate the faith of Rahab and have the kind of faith that begins by hearing hearing of the God who parts waters and leads his people into victory, but also the God who loved the world so much that even though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, loved us enough to give us Christ, to offer us forgiveness that we could have never earned on our own. And the more we hear that message, the stronger our faith will be. And so Rahab's faith begins with hearing. The next thing we see is that Rahab's faith took risks. Rahab's faith was willing to take risks. 
Now, there was a whole thing for a few years where it seems like every Christian book that was coming out in the Christian living section of whatever bookstore or online bookstore you use had something to do with Christianity being radical or extreme or crazy. These words were being thrown around a lot. And I think there is a certain level of danger that we have to be careful when it comes to wanting to have this extravagant, radical, experiential faith. Because if we're constantly trying to find one big spiritual adrenaline rush after the next, then we're going to miss out on some of the day-to-day things. In fact, the most important things in the Christian life aren't the big overwhelming experiences, aren't the Damascus Road moments or those things where we stop and say, this is an amazing, awesome thing. But the place where our faith grows the most is in the quiet moments where we're putting in the work of reading scripture daily, of spending time in prayer, of worshiping God in normal church services on Sunday morning, when the little things day after day, the ordinary things increase our faith in the ways that are profound that we all don't always feel at the right time, but we'll always know as we go down the road. But it is important to be careful, to not be too careful. We can't be people who are constantly crippled with the doubt and wonder and fear that if we take a step of faith, then we're going to fall flat on our face. Look at the example of Rahab. Rahab was in a moment where any sort of indecision would have been incredibly destructive. When those guards came to her door, if Rahab would have opened and even for a minute thought about what she was doing, even for a minute had concerns or doubts or any sort of second guessing of herself, then it all could have fallen apart. Maybe she could have backed out and said, you know what, I think I believe this, but I'm not 100% sure. And so, you know what, they're upstairs, go take them and do whatever you want with them. Or if there was any hesitation, it could have been easy to sniff out that she wasn't being completely honest with the guards. If she stuttered and stammered and wondered, they would have known that something was going on. Rahab's faith was a risky faith willing to put it on the line at a moment's notice. And I think it's important to remember that Rahab didn't know that she would be saved. Rahab didn't know that if she helped these men out that she would be saved. She knew that the city was going to be destroyed, and for all she knew, she could save these men, they could run off, and she would still be destroyed in the rubble of Jericho. But Rahab trusted God more than she feared man. You see, the kind of faith Rahab has isn't a blind faith. A lot of times that's how we understand faith, that God wants us to just close our eyes and step off a ledge and hope he's on the other side. But that's not what happened with Rahab. Rahab heard the stories about the God who parts waters. Rahab heard the stories about the God who has the power to deliver his people into all of these victories, and she knew the stories about the God who had given this fortified city to this little group of people coming to take it. And so Rahab had all of the evidence she needed to know, I don't know what's on the other side of this step, but I know that God is. And she was willing to take that step because she had a foundation of faith in the God who saves. More often than not, we fear the unknown because we don't know God well enough. In those moments of doubt, and I speak not as someone speaking at you, but mostly to myself because I'm wrecked in those moments. In those moments of doubt, it's not because God isn't strong enough. It's because we don't remember 
that he is. We don't remember that God isn't calling us to a blind faith, but a faith built on truth that is strong enough to bear the burden of doubt. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, hear this, of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then here's the important part, not that it's not all important, for Jesus brings it home. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Rahab was seeking God first. And she was taking steps that led her in the direction to be a child of God, to be faithful to the God that is calling her to act. And so she knew as long as I'm stepping towards God, I'm stepping in the right direction. And we need to learn to be so in the rhythm with God's grace and so deep in our knowledge of who he is that we can step out on faith boldly knowing that he is either going to pave the way or that he'll catch us when we fall. We need to learn to trust God so much that we know that if I am in the word and if I am desperately building my faith and if I'm surrounded by Christian community, if I am seeking him first, then if I take this step of faith and even though I don't know what's on the other side, I know that either God has the road for me to walk or if this isn't the time or if this isn't the place and I fall, he's going to catch me and put me back where I should be because that's the kind of God that we serve, a God who is a good father who is sovereign over all things and keeps his children safe even in our moments of doubt. Kevin DeYoung says that we should stop pleading with God to show us the future and start living and obeying like we are confident that he holds the future. And I think that's the difference between belief and faith, like we talked about last week. The belief might believe that God is out there able to do something, but faith is able to trust that the God that we believe in is also able to keep us moving in the right direction. Because you see, sometimes true faith has to take risks. But as Rahab learned, there is no risk in the hands of God. So Rahab's faith came through hearing. He was willing to take risks. And then in this beautiful moment in James chapter 2, we see that Rahab's faith covered her sins. In James chapter 2, verse 25, he says, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she hid those spies and sent them out on another way? And that word justified is a big, nice New Testament word about part of salvation and where we're taught that God, as we stand before him, guilty and covered by sin, declares us innocent. It's a judicial term 
That God looks at us knowing that we've sinned, knowing that we've fallen short, but because of the blood of Christ, swings his hammer down and says, you are innocent. Despite all of your guilt, despite all of your shame, when I see you, I see you blameless. I cannot imagine that this is something that Rahab ever expected to hear about herself. Because Rahab's location and her occupation were fighting against her. She was a woman that certainly wouldn't have been known as a moral example to anyone. She certainly wouldn't have been thought of as someone religious according to the way that the Hebrew people understood religion. And also she wasn't even a part of the right team. She came from the wrong place. She wasn't a part of the people of God. And so it's incredibly likely that Rahab would have never thought that this God of the Hebrew people would have ever looked at her as anything other than a Canaanite prostitute. And while all through scripture, she never loses the title prostitute, its reasoning for being mentioned was never the same. Because like we talked about over the past couple weeks, the Pharisees in the New Testament were the picture of what religion should look like. They were pious, but they were moral. They were good. They knew the law. They followed the rules. They had everything in line. They looked the part and they acted the part. But when James and the author of Hebrews and even Matthew teach us what true religion looks like on this side of Christ, they don't go to the Pharisees and the religious teachers, but they draw us an example through the life of a Canaanite prostitute and her faith. James is saying this is what true religion looks like. This woman who is wrapped up in moral failure and not even from the right place, and yet because of her faith in God, was justified before God. And now she stands in the presence of God, declared innocent, and all her guilt and all her shame have been taken away. Rahab had the kind of faith that heard the word of God and believed it. The kind of faith that trusted God in all situations. The kind of faith that was moved to action. She wasn't willing to just sit back, but she put her faith to work. And her faith was the kind of faith that cared for those in need. All the things that James is telling us. She was a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. She showed no discrimination or partiality, but she cared for the widows and orphans. She cared for those who were in need. And then she put her faith into practice by acting on it. And because of that, she was never the same. James tells us that that one moment of faith wiped away a lifetime of sin. And this is where we find that happy union between grace and works. Where we see that we're saved and justified by grace through faith, but that also our works matter. But it's not our works that save us. Because if we were going to draw up something to to display what Rahab's life looked like, let's say we had a big balance up here, a big scale. And if we put all of Rahab's junk on one side and then all of her good things on the other, the sin and the shame and the brokenness is going to far outweigh the good. This is a very small action compared to a lifetime of sin. But the same thing is true about each and every one of us because we're told in Scripture that our righteousness, our good works, are like filthy rags before God because they're so tarnished by our sin. And so if I had boxes filled with my sins and shames and struggles and doubts and I put them on this side of the scale and then I put all my good stuff on this side, it would put it through the floor. But then enters grace. 
And God takes his hand through the blood of his son and he puts it on the side of our good works and he tips the scale to be irrevocably changed to where no matter what we have on this side, it is never greater than the righteousness and the grace and mercy that we receive through Jesus. We give our sin a lot of power in our lives. We allow it to weigh us down. We allow guilt to tear us apart and to pull us away from Christ. We allow our shame to make us feel so dirty that we don't want to be in the presence of God. And again, that all comes because we forget how good God's grace is. And we forget how powerful, true, active faith in our lives really is. Because no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, if we trust in Christ for salvation, God has tipped that scale and it's never going back. Just like Rahab, when we put our faith in the God who saves and in the Christ who brought that salvation into the world, we find our identity changed forever. Just like Rahab found her identity changed forever. We're sinners justified by a working and active faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Our shame and our guilt and our failures are no match for the blood of Christ and the grace of God that covers them all. So Rahab had a faith that began with hearing, a faith that took risks, and a faith that covered her sins. And finally, we see that Rahab's faith was rewarded. In Joshua chapter 6, the only other time that Rahab is mentioned in the entire Old Testament, verses 22 through 25, it says this, But the two men who had gone and spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent out to spy on Jericho. As the world around her was literally burning to the ground, Rahab walked out of that city, out of her old life, and into God's people, into God's city. And she's still there today. I mean, not like actually there. She's not in, she's not in Israel. You're not going to go find a several thousand-year-old Canaanite prostitute living in Israel telling stories of the past 3,000 years, although that would be pretty exciting. But in a spiritual sense, she's still there today. She's with Christ in the presence of God, fully justified and glorified exactly as she was made to be. In Revelation, John tells us that one day, and this is our hope that we have, that Christ not only died and rose again, but that Christ will come again to bring restoration to the world. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, John paints this picture in the best way he can as Jesus coming to the world to bring heaven to earth. And he gives us the example in this picture of a city coming down. 
He says that Jesus will bring with him the holy city, New Jerusalem, that God is going to bring his city to ours. And what we see that is very true in this passage of scripture and every passage of scripture that mentions her from this point on, when Christ comes again to make all things right and all things new, when Christ brings his city to earth, Rahab, the prostitute, will be there with him forever. Because Rahab's faith was a saving faith. Not just from that temporary moment as Jericho fell down around her, but Rahab's faith saved her once and for all. That she's given that life eternal that Christ one day would bring some thousand years later after the life of Rahab and open that door for salvation and Rahab was able to walk through it once and for all. And if we wear the same faith of an ancient Canaanite prostitute, we will as well. See, as we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is filled with people who don't belong there. Jesus tells stories about wedding feasts that should be filled with all of the important people in the city, and yet the, the wedding master goes out and finds people outside of the city, the people in the desperate places, the people that don't have the right clothing, the people that don't have the right lives, and he brings them in and puts on new clothes and gives them the kingdom. Jesus teaches us things like, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are the meek, blessed are the unexpected. And each and every one of us falls into that category. And we should be thankful that the kingdom of God is to be filled with Canaanite prostitutes and people who have lied and hurt others, people who have disobeyed God time and time again, that the kingdom of God is going to be filled with sinners and outcasts because God loved the world so much that he sent Christ not to come and save the righteous, but to come and to save sinners like me. The kingdom of heaven will be filled with people saved by grace through an act of faith who will all one day receive the reward in full. Peter tells us that Jesus, through our faith, gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, that was designed for Christ and that will never pass away. And that inheritance is new life with Jesus forever. This is the faith that we're called to. This is the kind of religion that we should pursue. The kind of faith that is willing to take action, that hears the truth of who God is and acts and moves in a way that proves that we believe it. Just like James calls us to do, Rahab was willing to show her faith and we should do the same thing as well. And so again, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ before, and, and that's something that you need to do, and God is, is opening your heart and leading you into salvation, then please come and talk with me or Pastor Adam as soon as the service is over. If you need to be baptized, we're already lined up. We've got a few people who are ready to be baptized. And so if you need to be baptized and go through the waters of baptism, then talk with me because I love baptizing people. But if you're saved by grace through faith and you have the same faith that Rahab has, that James has, that all the people in the New Testament has, then put it to use. Live out an act of faith. Don't be hearers of the word, but doers also. Have the kind of faith that's willing to take risks, but that knows that there is no risk in the hands of a God who loves you. And remember that your faith is a saving faith given to you by grace through Christ. Nothing you did earned it, but he gave it to you freely and nothing can ever take it away and have the peace of knowing 
that one day when Christ makes all things right and all things new, not only will Rahab the Canaanite prostitute be with Christ forever, but you will as well. And cling to that hope as we live out our faith in a world that oftentimes is very difficult to do that in. Let's pray.